going to talk about this warning uh, that St. Paul is talking about and that ultimately Jesus gives here. Talk about faith and then repentance. What exactly is repentance? I think uh, faith, the second point, is kind of the central thing for, for everything. But nonetheless, the, the warning. So St. Paul is referring to some things that take place in the Old Testament. So we, we, we basically heard about the beginning of this uh, in our first reading, Exodus chapter 3, when the Lord, of course, he speaks to Moses in the burning bush. Moses is doing his thing and he says, okay, I need to go and check this out. Like, what is going on? And then the Lord reveals to him, okay, we, we, need to, we, need, we have a problem with my people being persecuted, enslaved, and so we need to get them out of there. We need to get them out of Egypt so that I can bring them to the promised land, this land flowing with milk and honey, uh, the land ultimately that God promised he would give to his people way back in the book of Genesis with Abraham. So God has made this promise way back with Abraham, and now he sees his people enslaved in Egypt, and he's saying, I need to fulfill my promise. That's what's going on. So, of course, we know about Moses and the ten plagues and all these different things. They, they escape uh, with, uh, after the Passover lamb. Uh, they escape uh, crossing the Red Sea on dry land. It splits in two. They walk across. They get across. The, the water comes back on top of the Egyptians. They drown, and everyone's happy. Right? Except what happens within the next two chapters, the Israelites are no longer happy. They're grumbling against the Lord. And so uh, they say, what the heck, Moses, you brought us out here and now we have no food. What are you going to do about that? So Moses goes and he complains like, what the heck, Lord? You brought us out here and now they're complaining against me. Figure this out, right? So then the Lord provides manna, right? This, this flaky substance as well as quail, right? So they get to eat quail. They get to eat meat, flesh. And then they have to eat this manna, which is, yeah, this flaky substance. Manna means, what is it? In other words, they're like, we don't know what this is, but the Lord says it's food, so we better eat it, right? Okay, and then that's, so then everyone's happy. One chapter later, they're grumbling again. What the heck, Moses? You brought us out here, and we have nothing to drink, and we're really thirsty because we're in the desert. What the heck? So then Moses goes to the Lord. What the heck? Okay, I'll stop doing that. So... Right, they complain about lack of water. So then the Lord tells Moses, okay, strike this rock. And when you strike the rock, water will start flowing out. And so this happens miraculously. So the Lord provides miraculous food, flesh, and then this bread stuff. Then he provides miraculously from a rock water so that they could all drink. It's amazing. And all the while, as they're walking through the desert, uh, by the way, like even before they got across the Red Sea, there's this pillar of cloud during the day and pillar of fire during the night leading them. And then when the Egyptians come before they cross, it actually stands between them to protect them. Right? So we can see the Lord is providing so many things. And this is what, what St. Paul is getting at. They were all under the cloud. They all passed through the sea. All of them were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from a spiritual rock that followed them. And then Paul makes this connection and the rock was Christ. And yet, right, so the Lord is revealing they received all of these blessings. And yet, as the story goes on, if you read it, after the part where, where things start to get a little uh, boring, 
uh, they go and they see the promised land, or they see what is to come, the land that the Lord promised, and they send some men ahead to go and check it out. Like, what's going on there? Can we, can we easily overtake it? Uh, do people live there? What's going on? And so this group of, of men go out, 12, 12 of them, uh, and they go out and they check out the land and they see that there are people living there and that those people are big. And so they come back and two of the 12 men, Joshua and Caleb, they say, you know what? There are people there, but the Lord has been taking care of us. So I think we should go. And the other 10, they say, they're giants. We're like mere grasshoppers. We shouldn't go. We, sh we shouldn't go. And so they don't. The people begin like this sort of open rebellion and, and they just refuse to move any further. And so they're in the desert for 38 more years. And, and what the Lord says to them is, because you have failed to believe in my power and in my love, only those two men, Caleb and Joshua, they're the only ones who are going to get to enter into the promised land. The rest of you, you're all going to die out here in the desert because you don't trust me. And so that's what happens. Even Moses himself, because he himself commits an act of distrust in the Lord, he doesn't get to enter the promised land. This is what, what St. Paul is saying when he says, Yet God was not pleased with most of them, for they were struck down in the desert. That's what's going on. And so then he goes on to say, These things happened as examples for us, so that we might not desire evil things as they did. Do not grumble as some of them did and suffer death by the destroyer. These things happened to them as an example, and they have been written down as a warning to us upon whom the end of the ages has come. St. Paul is saying somehow this story, this reality that took place back then, it's for us here and now. And what, what, is, what, is, the, what is the warning or what is the example? Well, they didn't get to enter into the promised land because they lacked faith. Because they lacked real trust in the Lord. The Lord had provided for them so many incredible things in the story, in the book of Exodus, just within a matter of a few chapters. He had provided for them so many signs of his goodness, of his favor toward them. Through the plagues, through the last plague, through the, the, the cloud and the pillar of fire, through the water splitting in half, through the food that he provides, through the water that he miraculously provides, he had provided so many things for them. And yet, when push came to shove, they couldn't get over themselves. They couldn't get over their fear. They couldn't get over their their disbelief that God was actually wanting them to enter into this promised land. They couldn't get over it. And so they didn't. And because of that, the Lord was not pleased with most of them. They lacked real trust because this is the thing. Real trust, real faith in God requires movement. You could ask all of those Israelites, do you believe that God exists? They would have said, of course we believe it. Well, why don't you trust him? And they could not say, well, no, we do trust. Okay, great, then let's go into the land. They couldn't say that they do trust because they refused to move. 
And so because they lacked trust in the Lord, real faith in him, they had to miss out on what God wanted to give them. And now this this is where we kind of run into the question ourselves. Do we have faith in Jesus? And it's not a question of, like, do you believe in Jesus? It's not a question of, do you believe that Jesus was sent by God? No, the question is, do we have real faith in Jesus? And if the answer is yes, praise the Lord. The next question is, how are we expressing that faith? Because in our gospel passage, Jesus gives us a warning of his own. He speaks about people who died a physical death, but then he gives kind of a strange line. I tell you, unless you repent, if you do not repent, you will all perish as they did. Do you have faith in Jesus? If you do, then it requires that we repent. And not just repent because we're so bad or repent because sin is so bad. No, we we have to repent because Jesus desires us to have life with him. Just like God wanted his people to enter into the promised land, so too Jesus wants us to enter into the promised land. But he says to us, us who come to him and say that we have faith in him, he says, if you do not repent, you won't have life. If you do not repent, you will perish. And so if you and I have faith in him, that is real trust in him, then we have to say, like, okay, I'm ready to repent. I'm ready to move, Jesus, because I see this. I see this from the example of the Old Testament. I see this from the example of the Israelites, that to have trust requires that I move. And so I, I can't, I can't imagine just sitting still because the mere fact that you're giving me this warning, it reveals to me that you want me. Right? You don't, you don't warn somebody about danger if, you're, if you want them to die. You don't warn somebody about their impending doom if you're actually pleased that they will be doomed. But instead, he delivers a warning because he wants us to enter into promised land with him. And so, Jesus... In faith, in trust, and surrender, I will repent. Now, this is the question. What does it mean to repent? Well, it begins with two things. I was thinking about this during the first reading. When Moses catches the sight of the burning bush, what does it say? It says, I must go over to look at this remarkable sight. So he's tending the flock, he looks, and he says, I must go. So what does that mean? It means that he had to turn away from his flock, and then he actually had to move in this direction. So two parts. Repenting means turning away from something, and then moving in another direction. It's not enough merely to turn away. And this is something I think that we can can sometimes get wrong, even myself that we can get wrong about this sometimes, that that we think 
Well, it, repenting just means going to confession. And once I go to confession, then I'm good to go. For sure, repenting means going to confession. It means turning away from our sins, that I actually have to turn away from my sin. Absolutely, that's part of it. But if I don't begin moving in another direction, that means I'm just staying where I'm at. And if I'm just staying where I'm at, then because of human nature, I'm gonna actually start turning back toward my sin. I know this from my own experience. There have been times in my life, so I, I, uh, I love playing video games. Full disclosure. I love playing video games. And there are times in my life, many times, where in my life, I play video games and I just play for too much, too long. I could play for hours on end. It's just something, it's like a millennial thing, I guess, right? I could just play video games, stare at a screen, play a sports game, you know, like win the Super Bowl with the Vikings because they don't ever do it in real life, right? Like, <laughs> I can do this for hours on end. Be like, yes, Minnesota, finally, right? Like, I can do this. So there have been times in my life where I've become aware of this, that I'm playing way too much right now. I need, I need to put these away. And so what happens is I will have this sudden movement of energy where it's like, okay, I'm going to not play video games. And then I do it. But then what happens is that time that I would normally spend playing, it's just empty. And so I say to myself, you know, I got my to-do list done. I don't have anything else to do. Maybe I'll just play for a little bit. And then a little bit slowly turns into more. And then it turns into more. And then it turns into more. And then I'm right back where I started. You see, I haven't fully repented of playing. I've turned away from it, but because of human nature, right? Because human nature, uh, for whatever reason, tends to turn back to the habits that I already have formed, then I end up stuck in the same place. And so finally, at some point, for me to repent of this, I need to not only put the video games away, but I, in turning away, I need to start filling that time with other things. I need to actually turn away, but then find something else to do with my free time. Picking up a spiritual book, or spending time with friends, or praying a little extra, maybe even cracking open the Bible a little bit. Right? This is what it is to repent. And so this, this gets back to the question, do we have faith in Jesus? If yes, then we need to repent. And repenting begins with turning away from sin. It means recognizing that I don't always live my life for God. And that in those areas where I don't live my life for God, I need to turn away from that so that I can begin moving toward the Lord God. Because if I don't start moving toward the Lord God, then I'm going to end up back in the same place. And brothers and sisters, this happens all the time that I hear about it in the confessional. People will come to me week after week after week, month after month after month, confessing the same sins. And I do the same thing, that I'll come and confess my sins. Praise God. People will come and confess their sins. Praise God. But there's always this question, especially when people come to me with serious, grave sins. There's always this question, how are you trying to work on that? Because it's not a question of the Lord giving grace. He gives 
abundant grace in the confessional. He gives abundant grace in the Eucharist. He's giving abundant grace when you are baptized. He gives abundant grace when you are confirmed. He gives abundant grace when you pick up and read his word. He gives abundant grace over and over and over again. We might say he gives us spiritual food. He gives us spiritual drink. He gives us spiritual power from on high. So it's not a question of the Lord providing for us so that we can truly live our lives apart. No, he's already done it. He's already done it. This is the lesson we are to learn from the the warning that St. Paul talks about. The, The lesson that we're to learn is that the Lord has already provided everything that we need to live our lives wholly for Jesus Christ. And so it's not a question of like whether he loves me or whether he cares about me. No, we already know that he does. And now the question is, do I love him? Do I trust him? Do I have faith in him? And if I do, then I must repent. Because he gives the warning. If I have faith in him, then I gotta go and receive his promises. Because he's so desperate that he's willing to warn me as long as I'm alive. He's so desperate to share life with us, even as he recognizes that some of us won't end up sharing life with him. And so, brothers and sisters, I don't know what your Lenten practices have been, but maybe today, if you haven't already begun, maybe today we can resolve ourselves, every one, to repent, to turn and walk toward him.